Hello, and welcome to Zoom with Zarni. Today is Thursday, uh, September 8th. We are 61 days away from the midterm election, and I'm happy to have on my uh, my guest today, Mark Spadafore. He's the president of the Greater Syracuse Labor Council, one of my good friends, uh, host of his own show, President on the Porch, uh, which is, you know, an homage or lovingly ripped off, however it may be, of my commissioner in the car program. But we always have a great conversation about the state of labor around Labor Day, and this one is no exception to that. He is a wonderful guest. He has a great political mind and uh, a spirit of, uh, you know, of uh, unity and, uh, you know, and, and fight uh, to take the fight for labor. Uh, you know, uh, he's, a, he, he's the president of the Greater Syracuse Labor Council, and uh, I hope you stick around for the interview. Uh, today, uh, you know, is 61 days from the midterm elections. Uh, we have, uh, you know, uh, now certified our uh, August 23rd primary, which means we are heading into the general election. We're waiting for the state board elections to certify theirs. And then starting next week, we'll start putting together the ballot to, by September 23rd, start sending out absentee ballots for the general election. So if you're interested in getting an absentee ballot, sign up at onvote.net. Uh, and and uh, you can get an absentee ballot mailed to you right when they first go out on September 23rd. So check that out. Um, and uh, we hopefully shortly will have a full candidates list on the web and we'll be talking about that next week. In the meantime, please stick around for my interview with Mark Spadafore, president of the Greater Syracuse Labor Council, a good friend and uh, a, a, a wonderful uh, interview. Enjoy. And we're back. And I'm so happy to have my good friend, Mark Spadafore. Uh, he is the president of the Greater Syracuse Labor Council and the upstate political director for SEIU 1199. We always have this chat around Labor Day, but we're a little bit late because of my schedule this week. But Mark, thanks so much for coming on Zoom with Zarni. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And don't worry about it. Actually, uh, I'm doing Robert Harding's at the end of the week. So you're not oh, the only one. All right. So, so there yes, there you go. <laughs> No, well, no, it's a pleasure, and I really appreciate you inviting me every year. Thank you. No problem. So, Mark, you know, I, I, I know you've been on several times, but there's always new people uh, that might be uh, coming across this. So tell us a little bit about the Greater Syracuse Labor Council. What is it? So we're the umbrella organizations for the local labor unions. That's the, the kind of the short answer. So, uh, and, so and a labor union is a group of workers who come together and um, to basically bargain with their employers. What that means is, is that they sit at the table with their employer and they negotiate how much they're going to be paid, what kind of benefits they're going to get, work rules, all those types of things. Um, and so uh, locally, we represent about 35,000 uh, union members uh, in Onondaga and Madison counties. All right. Well, uh, so and you're also the... Uh the political director for SEIU. Yeah, and it's 1199 SEIU. Yes, 1199 SEIU. <laughs> yes. And a lot of times we just refer to each other as 1199. There's a history there. I won't get into details, but uh, we're a union of healthcare workers and private sector healthcare workers. We don't go into the public sector. Uh, so we represent workers at Krauss Hospital, Loretto Nursing Home, and Aura Park, and a bunch of others in the area. We have about 7,000 in the central New York area, uh, across upstate New York, about 20,000. 
uh, from basically Utica all the way to Buffalo. And I oversee a staff of four uh, political coordinators across the state, uh, going away from Plattsburgh over to Niagara Falls, down to the, the Pennsylvania border. And we advocate for things, you know, like funding for health care, making sure people have access to health care, things of that nature. So, uh, Mark, you know, you and I have actually been uh, friends, most most of the time friends. Yeah. <laughs> we started on, you know, opposite political campaigns back, way back in 2001. We were No, 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 no. Of what? Going, no, no, it was 1997. I met you when you were with Jim LaRocca for governor. <laughs> yes, I forget yeah. about that. Yeah. So, so many other people remember and forget about Jim. I remember Jim LaRocca. I remember because you were, I was so impressed with how excited you were for Jim LaRocca. I think you were more excited for Jim LaRocca than Jim LaRocca. I was excited to be doing something. I, like I had been done, that was back in 97. I was, uh, whatever, 26, 27 or something like that. And my extent in political campaigns at that point was male stuffer, you know, like, you know, and so like, and then a few people that I got to know really well decided to give me the shot at doing something a little bit more with meat and potatoes. I, you know, I was the regional rep for La Rocca running for governor. And so I was excited just to be in the room, you know, I was uh, in the room where it was happening. So it was, it was fun, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, so, um, but we've been friends for a long time. And yeah. uh, so Let's, you know, kind of let's talk about labor first and then we'll get into politics a little bit later. Yeah. But what's what's the state of labor? What is your feelings about labor right now? You know, there's a lot of people who are saying there's a little bit of a renaissance of union membership. Mm -hmm. Are we seeing that here in central New York? What 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 are you uh uh well it's it's what, uh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, oh, yeah. No, I mean it's an interesting time, uh, you know, because it really goes back to the pandemic in a lot of ways, that what you're seeing is um, the pandemic created a situation where, you know, I mean, everybody, like, I mean, it was a society-wide flip out of, you know, schools are closing, we don't know what's happening, um, you know, it, it, you know, we're, we're, we were, we're kind of, if those of us were lucky enough, we were in our homes, but then all these other workers who we take for granted a lot of times, you know, so grocery store workers, you know, truck drivers, uh, healthcare workers. Yeah. You know I mean, just all these workers that we just like, you know, just assume, you know, or, or we take for granted all of a sudden those, those are essential workers and they had to go to work still, you know, some of us were privileged not to be, you know, to basically do things virtually. And this is where you and I are on zoom, but, um, Others weren't. And I think what ended up happening was people just really reassessed. And so what you saw, you saw a lot of older workers retire. You know, actually, our, our executive vice president retired. And, uh, and God bless her. She, I, was, I was actually talking to a coworker today. It's like, yeah, she hasn't been around since. She's having the time of her life. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but people really did. So, she, so a lot of people retired. And then a lot of people just left the workforce. You know, we've lost a lot of members in upstate New York. And it's not that, you know, they, we lost them because of decertification of unions or anything like that. People just left. You know, they just became like at-home parents or things like that. People just really reassessed so that now, you know, this economy that's been created over the years, especially you can really draw the line from like, you can say you argue the 70s, but I think it got kicked in the high gear during the Reagan years of, you know, this kind of service sector, low wage work. People are just like, you know, something I'm not doing it anymore. 
or they, you know, some of them said, I'm going to fight to make this a better place because these are the things I need in order for me to actually have a life now. Add on top of that, everything else we have going on, you know, the housing crisis, student loans, things like that. People just were like, enough. So now you're seeing these younger people, and especially places like Starbucks and Amazon, those are the most high profile, but it's also in places like Chipotle and Trader Joe's and Apple and places like that. They're, they're saying, you know what, we're going to start our own union here. So it's an exciting time to be in the labor movement. Yeah, it's almost like a, a democratization, although unions are some of the most de democratic organizations out there. But it's like a like we when I think when people think of unions, they've always thought of these like big auto industry factories or or uh, hospitals or <clears throat> some of these other huge, you know, universities, huge employers, uh, you know, with, with lots of workforce come together in union. And now we're seeing, you know, these smaller Starbucks, but yeah. we're also seeing, uh, you know, bigger unions like Amazon. And, you know, there's a, a growing Amazon movement. And we have growing Amazon facilities here in central New York, yeah. as well as uh, Starbucks on just about every corner. Um, but we didn't, we haven't seen that come here into central New York. Do you expect um, us to see some more uh movement as some of these other areas are successful that this might come into CNY as well? Yes. Uh, well, there's a couple things there. All right. Because um, I do want to comment on like somebody said about it used to be like these big factories, you know. Well, that was a big industrial organizing in the 1930s. Uh, but the economy was that, you know. So in other words, your economy, especially in central New York, you know, if you talk to anybody our age and older, we all talk about the times when GE, like especially I'm here in Liverpool, GE was, you know, 19,000 people worked there. You had GM, you had Chrysler, you had Carrier, with all these big employers where, because they were organized workplaces, had good wages and benefits, and, you know, the whole economy benefited from that. So it wasn't just the people who worked in those factories, it was... The diner down the street where, you know, the the workers will go go get lunch every day. There used to be this place in the village of Liverpool called Tarby's where they used to get the, the legendary Tarby burger. So, I mean, you, you know, it's it really supported a lot of the economy. And like I was saying before about the 1980s, that's when you saw, you know, trade deals start coming in, especially once you get into the 90s. And, you know, you saw these big manufacturers basically offshore and go away. What replaced them was a lot of, service sector jobs so you're like you're saying like they're having these victories at these small stores what i see is very interesting this because there was a campaign here at the um at the star at the starbucks store in uh armory square i'm not sure what's happening there now so i don't feel like a comment on it because i don't want to comment something i don't know um but I, I thought it was interesting that they closed the store by circus university and um what you found is is that Starbucks is, is trying to get smart about, you know, who is in their stores and, and which stores could organize. So they've been closing a lot of stores by universities because who works there? It's university types who, you know, are high because because that's another big change you're seeing in the labor movements that these newer wor workers who are trying to form their unions, they're mostly college educated. Uh, and it, they're just more susceptible to the union message. Um, so whereas before, we had the big organizing with the big factories. Those are more blue collar. 
and you know where they were like okay in order for you know us to move up the you know kind of the the american ladder you know economically we had to join a union whereas this is like yeah we need protections because you know but it's it's a different type of worker than what you had back in the 30s so and i thought it was you know very insightful what you were talking about like what happened during the pandemic where you know we, we've been talking about this labor for shortage but really it's a realignment because I, I do think that a lot of this, this is like people just disappeared i think people just stopped working second jobs and that real you know the, a lot of that is really hurt the service industry a little bit because you know a lot of people were decide you know maybe they don't need another car payment maybe they don't need like you know uh the the biggest house on on their own so they're they or, or they can pack lunch or whatever which you know it's kind of a you know a title effect you know one one service job leads to less service people because you you, you know and then you see more gig economy i'm mm-hmm. oh i'm a i'm a gig worker on the side myself you know and uh famously uh but uh you know it, it's uh there's a lot more people that are making choices based on their lifestyle and 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 unionization is coming along to help that happen as well well and, and what i would say is, is that so there these were to, to add on to that because i think you, you hit something that's kind of spot on so workers are trying to fix their workplaces with the legal tools that are at their at their disposal the issue is is that there hasn't been meaningful labor law reform since the 1930s and so if anything, they made it harder for workers to join into unions, harder for workers to get even a first contract. It's almost half of all organizing campaigns that are successful never get to a first contract. And that's what, you know, and you've seen that's a strategy right now that's happening at Starbucks and at Amazon. They're trying to use the legal process to stretch it out, stretch it out, stretch it out. So then what happens is if you're, you know, a younger person, and you have a college education. You probably didn't think I was going to be at, you know, you know, at Starbucks all my life or Amazon all my life. You're like, okay, I'm going to go and leave and go somewhere else, uh, you know, or have other opportunities to go do that based on my education. So they're betting that the longer they stretch us out, the more they're, they're going to be and the whole thing will die on the vine. In the meantime, you know, I'll speak to Workers United. Um, you know, they, they have to, they're spending a lot of money on legal challenges through the National Labor Relations Board. Now, luckily, with President Biden, we have probably the best National Labor Relations Board we've had since probably the 1930s and 40s. So we've been getting good rulings, but again, the process is a legal process and you spin people out to the point where they're like, you know, I gotta go and I I gotta provide. And that's what they're betting on. So it'd be interesting how this all plays out. But what it shows at the end of the day is we need meaningful labor law reform. Yeah, and I was going to ask about that because, uh, you know, President Biden, um, you know, came into office with promising to better relations with labor. I mean, we it was horrible under Trump. Uh, it, it, it's been horrible under a, um, you know, a split government really for the last 25, 30 years now uh, where, you know, even if we had a Democratic president, we only had a Democratic president with a Democratic Congress, you know, four time, four years out of the last, I don't know, 20, 25 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, if you uh, go back to Clinton, 30. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're talking about like two years under Obama, two years under Biden, two years under Clinton and Carter. You know, I mean, that's how far yeah. back you have to go. And, and actually going back to there was labor law reform on the docket and it was the filibuster yep. that killed it. 
And uh, it was one vote, too. They had 59 votes. They couldn't get that 60th vote. And uh, it's the filibuster. It really is. It's like when we talk about democracy, like and you were saying about that, you know, I, I want to go back to that point about democracy and units of democracy. Americans who talk about freedom all the time tolerate a dictatorship as soon as you go through and you clock in for the day at your employer. Because unless you have a union, you know, they're, you know, you're an at-will employee. They can fire you. They can, you know, limit your job for any reason, you know, other than discriminatory practices and things like that under the EEOC. So, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it, it really is about trying to have some democracy at the workplace. And actually, uh, th- this has been reported, but I don't think people really understand the impact of this. In California, they just uh, the governor there just signed a bill yesterday on Labor Day that calls for basically um, sectoral bargaining. So, and they did it for the fast food industry. So what that does is basically they set up a board made up of workers, some management folks, and some government folks that come together and in the whole state of California, which is the fifth largest economy in the world, that, you know, if you're in San Diego, here's what all fast food workers should make. So it doesn't matter if you're at Kentucky Fried Chicken, if you're at Burger King or McDonald's or wherever, they're going to make this rate with this benefits and what have you. If you're in Los Angeles, here's your rate. If you're in San Francisco, here's your rate. If you're in, like, say, you know, the Northern California ones that are much more conservative and more rural, you would have probably a lower rate, but one that's based on what that community needs. So what you're doing is you're taking wages and benefits out of competition. So it doesn't matter if you're working at, like I said, a Burger King or McDonald's, you're all basically doing the same job. You're all going to do the same thing. Imagine if we were able to do that with Uber and Lyft, or if we were to do that with Amazon. I mean, Amazon, like, I love how they say, well, we pay $15 an hour. Actually, they might be up to like 18 now. Yeah, but if you're a UPS driver with the Teamsters, you're making like, you know, 30. So it's like... You know, and now you've had to have you know teams for healthcare and teams for pensions. So, yeah, and I, I do think that people have uh, forgotten that you know fifteen dollars an hour was the goal fifteen years ago, and now that we're yeah, I know you know is like that you know now that we're here, it's really fifteen dollars an hour. Isn't that much over what the New York State minimum wage is now? In fact, it will be the minimum wage. Uh, in a couple of years, it'll be fifteen dollars. Well, and actually, uh, it, yeah, it won't get. It won't, I don't think I'll quite. October, the new rates for Upstate come out. Yeah, and I don't think we'll quite be there, but we won't be far under. No, and uh, yeah, but I mean, if you look at, uh, but New York City's talking; they need twenty. Yeah. So, and in New York State, localities can't set their own, so the state has to do that. And uh, so, you, I think you're going to see that fight coming up in uh, in January after the elections. So let's uh, bridge over to politics a little bit, uh, because uh, you and I are old political hacks. Uh, and uh, I'm proud to be a political hack. I, and I'm proud to be old. So ah. <laughs> it's, I'm happy with that. So uh, I'm turning 50 this month, so I'm proud to be old now. But, oh, uh, yeah. but uh, I, I, I turned 50, actually, as the, like the week we shut down. No, oh, right. Really? Yeah, so it was like, man, all right, what a message. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, you know, obviously Onondaga County, uh, you and I have been involved in campaigns in Onondaga County for years. And it's mm-hmm. become this you know, almost like a, a story of two different counties. You have your even year county, uh, yeah. which, which you know, tends to go blue on all the state races, uh, even on the judgeships, on the countywide races. Uh, and then yet... Yeah, we have a 
um, two, uh, you know, two thirds control on the county legislature. All of the towns, uh, almost all the towns, except for DeWitt and Manlius, are controlled by Republicans. Uh, you know, and then uh, you know, and and we just have horrible turnout in odd years for Democrats, which leads to that. So, you know, what are you, what is your take on Onondaga County? How can we, um, as Democrats, as a Democratic podcast, how is we can as Democrats look to fix this a little bit? Yeah, and look, I'll I'll say this: like, you know, I'm I'm a Democrat, and I've been a Democrat. I've been critical of the party uh, at, at times. But, you know, but still my core values are that of the Democratic Party. So um, so putting that out there so people know, it's like, I just think that, you know, a lot of Democrats, they get really interested in the big issues, you know, because I think that um, a lot of Democrats, you know, they think uh, critically a lot of times about things. And so they're like, oh, and, and I think that's, you know, like I was saying the shift before, with the with labor folks, how you know the big industrial organizations were mostly blue collar workers. That was the base of the party, and how you were just saying right now how Dewitt and Manlius are the Democratic towns, but all the rest of them aren't, because I think the voters there, you know, are, tend to be high, more higher, highly educated things like that. So their message is resonating on the Democratic side more than the Republican side. So I think you know that's what's happening to the party. I also think though that. For like places of like like Clay and Slime and things like that, which go Democrat, like you said, this year, but next year we'll have Republicans elected in their towns. Um, it's just a matter of those folks just aren't connected to the local level. And a lot of that I think is systemic too. They don't know what's happening. Um, local governments don't, you know, don't really put out what they are doing because they don't want you to know what they're doing, because they don't want people showing up and questioning what they are doing. Um, you know, and so, yeah, and not like that, but if you've ever been to a meeting and, you know, you have, I've been in plenty of these meetings, they're not exactly exciting meetings, you know, so they are, you know, they're dry, you know, a lot of, you know, motions and things like that and scheduling hearings and what have you. So at the end of the day, if you don't have a knowledge of how your local government works, your tendency might be like, you know, I don't want to make a mistake, so I don't want to go out. I think the Republicans are much better at getting their base out year after year. And I think that base turns out in an even numbered years, but then our base turns out and we're much bigger at this point. Yeah. And, and I think transparency issues, I wish played a little bit better with the public because I think this is a big issue because you see places like DeWitt and Manlius and city of Syracuse, democratic controlled local governments that invest in transparency. They have live streamed, uh, you know, meetings and their committee meetings are live streamed. And, uh, and, and you know, I'm sure my friends on the legislature will be so happy that I say this, but we see this this week with the Democrats pushing for more transparency in the Democratic legislature, uh, in the county legislature. And the county legislature is actually retracting some of their transparency that they adopted during the pandemic. They're not live streaming committee meetings. They're not um, even producing meaningful minutes in these committee meetings. And yeah. in your backyard, something like that happened in Salina where a, mm -hmm. a new so supervisor came in, Nick Paro, uh, formerly of the legislature, came in, got elected. And the first thing he did was start deleting videos off the YouTube channel for the Salina. And even some of his Republican colleagues on, uh, on the on the board were questioning, why are you doing this? And their question is, well, we can. 
Yeah. Well, and that's again, but that's always been the attitude of the local Republicans is that we can, you know, until until the Democratic Party figures out how to stop them on a county level. And I think this has been like my criticism of the Onondaga County, you know, and, and it's it's not just the current. Yeah, you know, I mean, this has gone back. You can go back to God, you know. Uh, <laughs> I go back before Ed Sesniak, uh, who Oh God, what was his name? Oh, uh, Dick Romeo, Dick Romeo. No, well, he was the the commissioner. He was a commissioner. And actually, I do go back to that when I worked there that summer when I was nineteen. At the uh, board of elections, I was one of those uh, summer hires, which I don't think they you do anymore. But I wish you did. It was I learned so much by doing that uh, about how elections work, and I appreciated it so much. Uh, and I also saw that I had friends who lied how tall they were on there and the old forms where you had to put like your height. <laughs> I had a friend literally it was my height, and he put on there he was six foot. I changed it. <laughs> it's like you're not six <laughs> foot. It's like the old, I lied on my basketball roster. I said I was 5'11". I'm like 5'8", if, if I'm lucky. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah. so, but anyway, but getting back to my point. Uh, so this goes back many, many generations where we've always kind of accepted that we were a city city, that if we won in the suburbs, great, you know, but, you know, we're, we're focused on the city because that's where our juice is, so to speak. You know, the Republicans were always focused more on the county. I mean, you know, in fact, when, when I first started, it was 93 when Bernardi became mayor. So I was there for that horrible election as a Democrat. Um, and where they almost lost the council, too, at that point. Uh, and actually, had they had a majority 5-4. But then one of the, I forgot the council got an appointment to the city. So then they had the whole fight between Amory Burkle, who was appointed to the council, and then uh, Kate O'Connell. And Kate won that seat, and it's been Democratic control ever since. But yeah, I mean, you're thinking, God, that'll be 30 years ago now. Uh, and yeah, so, um, but anyway, uh, but the point is we've always focused on the city and not the burbs and not, and there hasn't been anything there to really, you know, kind of girder these committees together. Because, you know, before in the city, there was patronage. You know, I remember when I first got started in 1993, that committee list, there were so many city workers on there. And then as soon as Bernardi got elected, that list went vacant. I mean, it was like not many people left. Um, and that's changed over the years, obviously, with, you know, uh, you know, the, the, you don't get that as much on the committee anymore. But for the but the towns, they never had that. So, you know, um, so, I mean, you know, so there's nothing there to kind of tie them together. So you, some years you get some good people. Like I was a chair line from 94 to 99 and we were successful. But eventually I was like, yeah, I've had enough, you know, and you want to go on and do other things, especially me. I was a young, I was 24 when I took over Salina and was 29 when I left because I got my job at the labor council. I was doing other things. I was busy. And I was like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it in a way that honors the position. So anyway. Well, you know, we are, we do bemoan what happens in odd years, but we are in an even year. And uh, we have a congressional race that is, you know, a hotbed right now. I think, you know, yeah. The fight for Congress is going to be, uh, you know, race by race throughout the, the the nation. Right now, it looks like the Senate, Democrats have a good shot at that. But, mm -hmm. you know, things are looking better for Democrats in the House. It's still an uphill battle, yeah. very uphill battle. But if we are to win, we have to win seats like the new New York 22. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and labor is going to be a big part of that. What what do you, what do you think Labor's thinking about? I know you guys haven't endorsed yet. Uh, at the mm -hmm. time of escaping, 
maybe by the end of this week there might be some enforcement yep. out there. But um, what is labor looking at for New York 22? Well, I think, you know, once, I mean, I could speak, well, I could speak specifically to our union. You know, we're going to be all in with Fran. Uh, you know, we weren't with him in the primary, but, you know, to be honest with you, you know, there we were with Sam Roberts. Uh, but, you know, now that primary is over, you know, it, 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 it was, you know, basically the reason we endorsed Sam was we honored his history with us. And, um, you know, so, uh, and we were proud to endorse him and what have you, but, you know, Fran was fine too, is my point. And so we're going to be, you know, supporting him. Uh, we've already met with this campaign. We got some things planned. We hope to get them done. Uh, so, um, uh, but we are going to be doing our job, and a lot of other unions going to be doing that too. If the endorsement, which I expect is going to happen, comes from the AFL-CIO, then a lot more resources are going to come in to do kind of larger labor labor. So not just you know 1199 talking to their members, but you're going to see a lot of, you know, unions like, you know, cross union stuff. So we'll be talking to members of the teachers union or CSEA or something like that. And so you're going to have a lot of unions talking to their members and other union members talking to their members to try to get the, the union vote. Because in the past, there was this kind of union vote that was, you know, by and large, you know, democratic. Now you can't take that for granted because, you know, some of it's the Trump effect. And, um, and it's, it's based on cultural issues, uh, they identify with him a lot and he does kind of have that, you know, um, that, that attitude of, you know, I do what I want and whatever. And I stick it to, I stick it to the man, even though he's the man, uh, you know, so, but, but that is appeal with a lot of different folks. So, uh, you know, so, so, I mean, so having those conversations, I mean, the good thing is, is that. Our polling shows that when a union member talks to another union member at the work site, not even like a door knock, not even a phone call, at the work site, eight times out of 10, over 80% of the time, they're going to vote for the union's endorsed candidate. So this is where we're going to be focusing a lot of our efforts uh, in, uh, coming up in the next few weeks. So I know we're both Democrats, but you know we can't ignore what's happening on the other side of the aisle. And uh, you know th- I think it's... I think it's important to to know, like, you know, Steve Wells got all of the Republican endorsements throughout the, the four counties uh, in the district. He got a ton of money, a ton of national money, uh, even <laughs> like where the where the traditional splits were, where Kevin McCarthy and Elise Stefanik, you know, they actually endorsed him as well. We didn't see these traditional splits, yet somehow Brandon Williams, who's really only claimed to fame is that he's more Trump than Steve Wells. Uh, yeah. Not not only won, but but cleaned Steve Wells' clock. And he's a very he's an arch, he's probably arch conservative and uh, got mm-hmm. the conservative endorsement. What do you make of uh, you know that? I mean, our, it looks like the Trump effect is actually even coming to New York, where Trump endorsed. Oh yeah. Are, are oh yeah. I mean, I to be honest with you, I thought he was going to have problems anyway. You know, um, the question was going to be, could he, you know, basically spend his way out of it, you know, in a lot of ways. And I'll be, I'll say this, just as on the Democratic side, you know, um, with Sarah Clee Hood coming so close to knocking off Fran, my rule is always bet on a woman in the Democratic primary, but not just a woman, I'd say a progressive. So, I mean, you know, the, the you know, and that's the reason why Dana usually did so well, Dana Balter, um, when she ran uh, in 18 and uh, 2018 and 2020. You know, she really 
was the candidate of that progressive wing of the party. You know, the question, you know, the question was, could she expand it out in the election in 2018 and 20 showed that she couldn't. Um, so I think there, you know, now with Brandon Williams, you know, so he really, you know, galvanized that right, you know, Trump wing of their party. Can he expand it out for the election? I guess we're, we're going to find out. So, yeah. So, uh, well, we're starting to reach that uh, magic uh, portion of the podcast here where, uh, you know, people are starting to think about turning off. Tune out. Because yeah. 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 So, I can sit here and talk to you forever and probably will. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, so I guess what I want to, you know, I always end with is, uh, you know, what haven't we talked about that you think is important either this year or in general? What do you want people to know, uh, you know, before we sign on to this podcast? Um, I would say that the, the issues that you deal with of democracy is so important, not just to, you know, people voting in their everyday life, but to us in the labor movement. Because this, the through line between both of our jobs is the fact that it's about democracy. It's about democratization of not just our voting systems and making sure that everybody can do has access to it, but in our economic system too, that everybody can participate. And you know, there's there's factions uh, of the society that doesn't want that to happen. That wants to you know pull up the ladder economically, but also limit who votes. Because if you limit who votes, you show who wins. And like we were saying before. They could be like, you know, we can. So let's stop we can and be that, you know, this is a society and an economy that everybody can participate in. That, that's so well said. Uh, thank you, Mark. Thank you for all you do. Uh, thank you for being a friend uh, and, and, a, and a supporter, uh, but also just thank you for everything that you do for Democrats and also working uh, professionals, especially healthcare professionals that need as much uh, support as anyone nowadays. So uh, where can people find, uh, well, where can they find you? You, you do your president on the porch. Uh, yes, and, and and you call it an homage. I just stole the idea. So uh, that's what I say. I, I stole it off uh, Jerry Seinfeld. So it's fine. It's, you know, we're all we're all stealing stuff. It's fine. Oh, that's right. Yeah, comedians. Yeah, coffee, yeah, or comedians in cars. Yes, yeah. yes. So, uh, but uh so and we're and I can see your your uh, cnylabor.org is where we can find uh, yeah yeah so that and uh, but I would say our Facebook page is probably the best place where we post most of the stuff like yesterday when we had to cut the parade I was posting up to uh, um, Facebook um, you know that tends to be our place eventually you know and, and we have a Twitter feed um, uh, I'm not as good as that as I am on my Facebook stuff eventually we'll get an Instagram and. Someday, maybe even a TikTok. We'll see. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there we go. Uh, the TikTok is the wave of the future. Who knows? But I, know. I, I still haven't crossed that bridge yet either. So, uh, all right. Well, thank you, Mark, and enjoy uh, the rest of your week. And that was my interview with Mark Spadafore, president of the Greater Syracuse Labor Council. Uh, check out that organization on Facebook. It's a, it's a great organization. If you want to know about what's going on with labor, here in Central New York and throughout the state. Uh, and uh, check out 1199 SEIU, uh, one of the premier uh, labor unions in our area. Uh, and uh, Mark Spadafore is uh, the upstate political director for that and the president for the Greater Syracuse Labor Council. Uh, we are 61 days away from the general election. What are you going to do to ensure that uh, people get out to vote? That's what I'm asking now every day going into this general election. 
And if you need an absentee ballot, go to onvote.net. Absentee ballots will be sent out September 23rd. And early voting will start 10 days before the November 8th uh, general election. So we'll have more about that in the coming weeks. Thank you very much for tuning in to Zoom with Zarni and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye.